So I hear uh, there's, a, there's a football team on the Spartanburg Connection that's in the Super Bowl next Sunday, maybe. Uh, a team that has training camp here every, every August. Uh, let me ask you a question, those of you who are Panthers fans. I know for most of us, $4,000 for tickets and flying across the country is probably too steep a price to pay. But what if the Super Bowl were in Charlotte? and the tickets were $100 each. What links would you go to to make sure that you and your family were at that game? What would you do to get there? All right, let me, let me throw a second scenario at you. For those who have made a New Year's resolution to get in shape or to drop some weight, what links are you willing to go to to keep that resolution? Third scenario. Let's say that you finally have a date with that person you wanted to go out with for so long. What links are you willing to go to to make sure that that date goes well? Uh, when there's something that we really want, when there's something that we really desire, we'll go to great links to make sure that that thing comes about. Uh, we're in this series that we've been doing the last three weeks, kind of casting vision as a church talking about who we want to be as a church. Uh, we've talked about wanting to be a church that worships, a, wor a church that builds community, a church that builds disciples. And today we want to talk about being a church that reaches, that, that reaches out, specifically reaches the lost with the gospel. So let me ask that question I've been asking in a, in a slightly different way. What links would you be willing to go to to reach a sexually immoral outcast of a different race and a different religion with the good news of the gospel? What links would you be willing to go to to show them the love of Jesus? Uh, students, think about the outcast at your school, the people that nobody wants to be with or nobody wants to hang out with. What links are you willing to go to to show them, to demonstrate to them the love of of Jesus Christ. Aren't we all glad that Jesus loves us more than we love other people? Um, you may be saying, well, you know, Justin, you're starting kind of heavy on the guilt. Welcome to Grace Presbyterian Church. Let me throw some, let me throw some guilt at you. But the, the point is not to, to guilt us into doing anything, but to think about what actually is going on in our hearts with regard to evangelism. Because there's this great commission thing at the end of Matthew that Jesus seems to make a pretty big deal about. Why isn't it a big deal to me? Uh, Jesus tells us that the, the most two important things we can do are to love God and to love our neighbors. And I'm pretty sure that telling other people about Jesus falls into that loving your neighbor category. What if we were really to embrace that? What if the Holy Spirit lit a fire under us in, in such a way that we really wanted to carry out the Great Commission? It wasn't just something that we felt like it was our duty to do and say, okay, but, but that we really wanted to carry out the Great Commission and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would that look like? What, what would it look like for us to, actu to actually intentionally pursue people with, with the hope of pointing them to Jesus? Um, I, I hope we're going to see some of that in the text we're going to read this morning. This is uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. 
Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. 
Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make yourself known to us today uh, in such a way that we would want to go out and make you known to others. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, what we're trying to do this morning is ask the question, what would it look like for us to pursue people with the intention of pointing them to Jesus Christ. And I want to uh, point out four or five things here. Number one, it would involve us being intentional. It would involve us being intentional. Uh, John tells us here in verse 3 that Jesus left Judea in order to go to Galilee. Then he tells us in verse 4 that in order to do this, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, if I had a map up here and you were to look at the map, you would have said, well, of of course, Jesus has to pass through Samaria to get to Galilee. That, that's the way you go. It'd be like if you were going to Louisiana, you would have to pass through Alabama. Not that you'd want to go to Louisiana. You'd have to pass through Alabama and Mississippi in order to get there. That's just the way that you would go. But here's what the map doesn't tell you. See, in Jesus' day, Jewish people didn't usually go through Samaria. They tried to avoid going through Samaria. They would take one of two longer roads around Samaria because they didn't want to come into contact with Samaritans. Uh, for the, the Harry Potter fans, it's kind of like the folks in Slytherin House not wanting to come into contact with muggles and, and mudbloods. That's how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. All right? The Samaritans were not racially pure. They were not religiously pure in the eyes of the Jews. They had, they'd intermarried with people from other nations and other religions, and they'd kind of become this hodgepodge of pagan and Old Testament beliefs uh, combined together. They'd even built their own temple on Mount Gerizim and said, this is where you're actually supposed to worship, not in Jerusalem. This is the right place to worship. So the Jews didn't have much use for the Samaritans. There was even a saying that if you were a Jew and you pass a Samaritan coming towards you on the road, you ought to walk in the ditch so that your shadows didn't touch. Okay? They, they, they didn't like them very much. So why then does Jesus, a Jew, have to go through Samaria? Jesus has to go through Samaria because he's got an appointment with a woman at a well. There's a woman standing by a well that he wants to meet. There's a woman at a well who doesn't know his father. And in order for her to know his father, Jesus has to go through Samaria. He has to go through Samaria even and all the way to the cross if she's going to know his father. And so Jesus intentionally goes to this woman so that she can know his father. He goes to her on purpose. Uh, it may be that you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a believer in Jesus Christ. 
And if that's where you are, then, then hey, we're really glad that you've come and you wanted to hang out with us and put up with us this morning. But, but I want to invite you to consider that maybe your being here is evidence of Jesus' pursuit of you. That you're not just here by accident or by chance or because the alarm clock went off, but because in God's providence, He wanted you to be here and to hear about Jesus this morning. If you're here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then I think we all have to remember from time to time that it's not that we went out of our way to intentionally find Jesus. Jesus went out of His way to intentionally find us. He intentionally left the comfort and the security of heaven for you and for me. And now, as those who call ourselves His disciples, He calls us to intentionally leave our comfort and our security and pursue other people and love other people as He has shown love to us. And y'all, that's not something you just fall into. You don't, you don't just kind of, well, maybe that's going to happen and, and maybe that's not. I, I think we often pursue evangelism the way we pursue watching a television show that we're really not that crazy about. And then like, well, if, I'm, if, I'm home, if I happen to be home and it happens to be on when I sit down to watch TV, then, okay, I'll, I'll probably watch it. It's, it's, it's that interesting to me. But what do we do with, with television shows that we really want to watch? You know, we make an appointment to watch them, or if you've got a, a, a DVR, you set the DVR to record that show. Uh, and then you move it high up in the priority list so that nobody else's show comes in front of yours. And then you password protect it so it doesn't get accidentally deleted. And then you fight with your family about whose show gets to be higher in the priority list and, and always gets recorded. All right, we're intentional about these shows that we want to watch. And then when we watch them, we actually turn off our phones if we can remember how to do that so, that so that nobody for just a little bit will bother us because we've got an appointment to intentionally watch this television show. What does it look like for us to be intentional about reaching people with the gospel? Uh, it looks like intentionally living a godly life, intentionally working on my relationship with Jesus, being intentional about prayer. We've talked before about kingdom prayer and praying for the lost and praying for God's kingdom to come. It looks like being intentional about looking for ways to build relationships with other people. And I've given these suggestions before. I do this in the new members class. Uh, but I think it's helpful to kind of be reminded of these from time to time. What are some ways we can do that? Uh, eat with people who aren't Christians. You've got three meals a day. Uh, go eat with somebody besides the people you ordinarily eat with. Or, even better, invite somebody to come eat with you and your friends and your family. Invite them in to what you're doing anyway. Be regular at some place. Uh, you, you go to the gym, you go to, to, to Publix, you go to wherever, you go to Starbucks. Try to do that on the same day and the same time. Try to start seeing who you can run into at these same places each week. Hobby with, with non-Christians. Don't join the Christian gym or the Christian running club or the Christian book club. Just join the book club. Find a book you like to read and, and interact with the people who are involved there. Uh, number four, talk to your co-workers. Number five, walk around your neighborhood. If you've got a neighborhood that's suitable for that, get out and walk around your neighborhood. Volunteer with a nonprofit in town. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a Christian nonprofit. Just, just find a nonprofit and volunteer with them. 
Uh, find ways to participate in city events. Uh, and then just look for ways to, to help your neighbors. Now, one of our reactions to this sort of thing is always, I, I, I don't have time. All right, I don't, I got, I, that's just one more thing on my calendar. Well, you do eat, right? I hope. Uh, invite somebody to do that with you. That's something you've scheduled already. You don't necessarily have to create a new time slot on your calendar to do these things. Invite people to come along with you to something you're planning to do already. If you and your family are going to play putt-putt downtown or whatever it is you and your family go and do, invite another family to come along and do that with you. And that works both in terms of building community within the church and reaching those outside of the church as well. I think it's also helpful to come up with some intentional way of reminding yourself that this is something you want to be intentional about. You know, we, we all, or many of us like to set goals, and we'll set goals for family and work and physical and spiritual. However you do that, maybe you write those things down on note cards. Make this one of those things. I, I want to be intentional uh, about evangelism, about praying for people to come to know Jesus, about being involved with, with people outside of my little huddle and getting to know other people. And then talk to your family about what would that actually look like. Like, if you're going to go on vacation this summer, I'm pretty sure you're going to sit down and you're going to plan that. Or otherwise, vacation's not going to happen. Um, if we say, hey, we're going to be intentional with getting to know other people, but, but we don't sit down and plan that, it's, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, hope isn't a plan, uh, as we've heard. So, so look for ways and talk about ways to intentionally build relationships with other people. And... Try to find ways to do that that fit in with the way you're wired. Uh, some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts, some of us can go through a big block party and love it. Others of us are like, I don't know about that, and maybe we have a different role in that. You know, you're, you're working behind the scenes, but you can still be a part of reaching the people around you. And so try to find ways that, that fit who you are, but then be aware also that God kind of has this habit of pushing us out of our comfort zones at times and calling us to, to do things that we're like, I, I don't know, but, but God enables us to do these things. So be intentional. Number one, be intentional. Number two, we're going to have to cross barriers. We're going to have to cross barriers. Uh, this woman's race was a problem. Her religion was a problem. Her gender was even a problem. Uh, in this day and time, Jew Jewish rabbis didn't have women as disciples. Women were not allowed to be witnesses in court. In fact, there was supposedly a prayer of the Pharisees that, that went like this, Thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile but a Jew, that I am not a slave but am free, I am not a woman but a man. Her gender is a problem in this scene. Her sin's a problem. Uh, her sin is a problem. She's had five husbands and now she's shacked up with somebody else who's not her husband. And yet, Jesus is here saying to her, give me a drink. Can I have a drink? In verse 9, the, she's like completely taken aback that he's even talking to her. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? He's like, I don't, I don't, people don't usually cross this line. 
What, what are you doing here, Jesus? Uh, those of you who remember the, the movie Mississippi Burning, or really if you just think about the civil rights era, there's a scene where an FBI agent comes into a segregated restaurant in a, in a 1960s southern town, and there are tables for white people, and there's a counter for black people in the back, and he goes past all the tables for the whites and goes and hangs out with the black people in the back of the restaurant. He had crossed a line that you just didn't cross in that day. And he had done it in order to say, I want to identify with you. I want to talk to you. I value sitting with you. Jesus was doing something like that. He had crossed a line that in that time you just didn't cross. He said, I'm going to talk to the person who everybody else in my tribe refuses to talk to. And I'm going to go over and have a conversation with her. Uh, he's even going against Jewish rules of the day. Jews weren't allowed to share utensils, cups and plates and stuff with Samaritans because they were considered unclean. And so Jesus is, is crossing these barriers to have this conversation with a Samaritan woman. What are those barriers for us? What are the barriers that keep us from entering into conversations and relationships with other people? Uh, maybe the barriers are some of our Christian subculture rules. I can't go into a place like that. I can't be seen with people like that. What are people going to say? Maybe there are racial barriers still. Uh, maybe there are socioeconomic barriers I, I think I pointed out before that at the Criterium, the big bike race downtown, is painfully obvious that there are two Spartanburgs. There's a Spartanburg inside the loop, and then there's a Spartanburg outside the loop. And those are, those are very two different groups of people that don't cross over very much. Uh, are there, there are certain people that you feel like, oh, they're just too far beneath me, or certain people that you feel like, well, they're too far above me. I could, I could never have anything to say to them. Uh, maybe they're cultural barriers. Uh, can, can you love somebody, you're like, that's that snotty-nosed little redneck baby, and her mom's probably cooking meth in the back. I'm sure of it. All right? Are, are, are there those kind of barriers in our mind that we're not comfortable going across? Maybe the barrier is just our own idolatrous pursuit of happiness and comfort at any cost. Like, I'm not going to go into a situation where my happiness or my comfort might be threatened. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay over here. What are, what are the barriers that we need to cross? I know I've, I've, I've told this before, but, but a, a few years ago there was, a, there was a church sign that I saw. And, and it had a skull and crossbones on it with cigarettes and ashtrays and beer and it was like this big flashing danger, avoid sin, uh, stay away from these things. And it was beside the interstate. And I just saw that sign. I thought, what, aren't those the exact people you want to invite to your church? Aren't, aren't those the people that you want to build relationships with? And you're just kind of saying at the front door, we don't want you in here. I, I, you know, we've run radio ads with, with Ryan Clary before. And I was, what if we had a new one that said, are you tired of hiding in the back of the liquor store and having to go outside to smoke your cigarettes? Come on in and be welcomed at Grace Presbyterian Church. 
I probably can't smoke in here, but um, well, we, <laughs> yeah, are we going to run with this? We're going to run with this. Tired of? Uh, are you tired of feeling like you don't have nice enough clothes to wear to church? Are you tired of churches where you can't voice your doubts or your struggles or be real about what's really going on in your life? Are you tired of acting like you're not the Samaritan woman when inside you know that's who you really are? Are you tired? Keith and I were talking about this, this group of guys we were having a Bible study with, and they were talking about church being the place where you have to dress up and put on and say to everybody, I'm okay and I have it all together. Are, are you tired of that? We want to be a church where, where you can come if you're struggling with, with, with any of those things. We want to be a church that, that crosses barriers. But in order to be a church that crosses barriers, we as individuals have to be willing to cross those barriers ourselves. Are you willing to, to cross them and enter into relationships with people who maybe aren't like you? So number one, be intentional. Number two, cross barriers. Number three, show respect. Show respect. Jesus recognizes the image of God in this woman. I mean, notice where he starts with her. He doesn't start with, hey, you really need to repent because I'm the son of God. He doesn't start with telling her how messed up her religion is. He doesn't start with that. He starts, how does he start? He just asks her for a drink of water. He starts by asking her for a drink of water. And look, this is the guy that could turn water into wine. I'm relatively sure he could have handled getting water for himself if he really wanted to. But he asked her for a drink. He asked her to do something for her. And I think he's saying to her, hey, look, in spite of what, what all the other Jewish people may think about you, I think you have something to offer me. I think you have something to offer me. I'm asking you for your help. I'm asking you for your kindness. You're not just some worthless, half-breed, uh, adulterous idolater. You have dignity because you're made in the image of God. He recognizes that in her. Those of you who have seen the movie The Help, remember... Uh, Abilene is an African-American maid. He works for a very wealthy white family. And the mom in this family always shames her daughter whenever she does something wrong. And whenever this happens, Abilene will kind of come, be come behind her and find the little girl and say, you are smart. You are kind. You are important. What she's doing, she's focusing on the image of God in that little girl and reinforcing that. The thing about Lance Armstrong, if you had a chance to share the gospel with him, where would you start? Would you start by getting on his case by, oh, you, you messed up for everybody. Everybody held you in such high esteem and you went and, and cheated. Or would you start with, hey man, I really appreciate what you've done to fund cancer research. That is a, that is a great thing that you have done. As Jim Gaffigan said, is everyone still fake mad at that bike rider who raised millions of dollars to fight cancer? <laughs> um, you know, where, where do you start with him? If, if we're going to share the love of Christ with the people around us, we have to start viewing them not as enemies, not as opponents in the culture war, 
not as people that I've got to rant at and correct on Facebook and get them thinking right, not as someone whose sin is going to contaminate me if I get too close, but as people who are actually made in the image of God, who even have something to offer us. Uh, I think one of the reasons we can't reach people around us is we see ourselves as we're all the, we're the put-together ones and they're the not-put-together ones and they just need to put everything together and, and come be like me. But we're flawed. And our families are messed up. And our theology isn't perfect. And we're weak and needy. Uh, Dan Doriani said that his... Father was a committed communist, and he doesn't recommend that to anyone. Uh, but he said his parents had one of the best marriages that he'd ever seen in his whole life. Uh, and, and this is what he writes. He says, just stop one day and take the time to think about who grew and prepared the food you eat. Who designed and made the clothes you wear, the house you live in, the car you drive, and the computer you use. Every day of our lives, every Christian in the world is benefiting from the wisdom and talents of non-Christians. Let us humble ourselves and learn at Jesus' feet to be thankful for this constant reality. We've got to show respect and appreciate those around us. To so be intentional, cross barriers, show respect, and then fourth, carry on a discussion with them and, and listen. Uh, just from this passage, we know some of the things they talked about. They talked about the living water that only Jesus can give. They talk about Jacob. They talk about where the right place to worship is. They talk about what tree worship looks like. They talk about who the Messiah is. Uh, one of the things I think is the, the best things that we can do as Christians in sharing our faith is simply to slow down and ask questions and listen. And to find out where this other person is, is coming from. Uh, learn about their beliefs. Learn about their faiths. And that's not just a, a technique. I think that's actually showing respect to them as people made in the image of God. That's actually a way of, of loving our neighbor and, and valuing them. It shows them that, that you care and that you're interested in their lives. I think our, our, our temptation is we feel like we've got this gospel outline we've got to carry around. And we're just always looking for when's my opportunity to throw this at you. And Okay, I said that now. And either they believe it or they don't, but I've done what I'm supposed to do. Instead, just talk to them and learn about them and, and see where they're thirsty. Where, where does the gospel actually connect with what they need? Listen to them. Um, there was an article going around not too long ago. It was top ten of tips for evangelism, and it was written by an atheist. And he was, and, and he was, he was being serious. He's like, here's what you guys could actually be doing. And one of the things he said was, when talking about religious and philosophical matters, ask more questions and do less preaching. People just like to be heard, and they like people who listen to them. And they will feel more trust in you the more that they open up to you. You have to overcome the temptation to make your attempts to persuade others all about how you feel and what you think, your focus must be on what the person you're persuading feels and thinks. A very different way of, of, of thinking about it. Well, uh, fifthly and finally, we have to point people in the appropriate time to Jesus. 
Uh, Jesus does point out her sin. He does do that. But he does it gently and graciously. And then he points her to himself. Verse 26. I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who can give you the living water that you're looking for in all these other places. Uh, He's not uncomfortable being around her. He draws her into conversation. He draws her to himself. And he communicates love and compassion to her as he does this. What are we communicating to people? What are we communicating to people who, who aren't like us? People who are atheists, people of other faiths, people who are messy, people who struggle with addictions, uh, people with, with broken family systems, people with different political views. Are we, are we pointing them to Jesus? Or do we just want them to clean themselves up and come over here and, and be like me? Well, how do, we, how do we get there? How do we get to this place? I think in order to get there, we have to see that while we can learn about evangelism from Jesus, Jesus is the person we're least like in the story. The person we're most like in the story is the woman at the well. See, see, that's who we really are. We can take, all right, here are things Jesus did and those are going to do. But we're more like the Samaritan woman who's simply running and tell her friends, you won't believe that this guy just told uh, everything that's ever happened to me. You won't believe who I've met. We have to see that, that I've got to see that I'm the woman at the well. I'm the one who's messed up. I'm the one with skeleton in the closet. Skeletons in the closet. I'm the one who's a sinner. And Jesus has come after me and loved me and given his life for me. How do I get where I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go out and intentionally pursue others? Uh, where I'm able to do that? I, I think it starts with humility. Humility, um, honesty about who we really are, and a sense of brokenness over who we really are. Uh, I'll close with this. Wes Simmons is a campus minister with RUF, uh, and he wrote, I'm just going to read excerpts, he wrote an article about evangelism probably in the last year, and I want to read a few paragraphs from it. Courage, boldness, confidence. These are the words we typically associate with evangelism. But what if evangelism is more about our weakness than our strength? More about humility than boldness? What if it's more about sharing why you need Jesus, inviting people into your brokenness, than it is about trying to convince them why they need Jesus? What if it's more about telling people why you need Jesus, Inviting them into your brokenness instead of telling them why they need Jesus. What if evangelism really is more about sharing than convincing? More about being vulnerable with our brokenness than being so quick to point it out in others. When you're willing, in humility, to first share with someone about your brokenness, your heart idols, and your own need for Jesus they are much more likely to be drawn into a conversation than if you just start the conversation by asking them why they should be allowed into heaven one day. We want to give people space to put their guard down for a few minutes, not provoke them to put it up. We want to give them space to hear about Jesus. Then he writes, I usually share my own story, talking in an appropriate way about the idols of my heart. There are many, 
and my struggles with sin. I talk about how the gospel of Jesus applies to those idols and what the calling to repent and believe the gospel looks like in my life. Eight times out of ten, people end up at some point saying something to the effect of, you too? I thought I was the only one. I'll bite in different words. They began to share a bit about their own lives and even their own brokenness. They began to reveal their own sin and need for Jesus even though they may not fully understand it. They are opening up because you have given them an invitation. He's saying the key to getting the opportunity to share with others about how much they need Jesus is to lead by showing and telling them how much you need Jesus. How much more you are like the woman at the well than you are like Jesus. Uh, Reach team, this is, this is down your alley. I haven't really given you much specific direction. Um, I think we start as a church along those pathways where we, God has naturally uh, given us bridges and then we look for places outside of those where we might be able to, to reach. But I think what I really want to say to the people on the reach team as you think about leading us as a church in this is this is the hard attitude that I think we have to have if we're going to be a reaching church? And how do we instill this hard attitude uh, in us as a body so that we, we see our sin and see how Jesus has loved us uh, and we delight to go and share that with others? Let me pray for us. Lord God, I, I pray for just that, uh, that you would make us aware of our own sin that you would make us humble, that you would break us where we need to be broken, uh, and that we would see in the midst of that how much you love us still, and that Jesus has come and, and died for people like us, come to rescue people like us. And then, Father, would you help us um, to overcome our fears, the things that intimidate us are different for all of us, uh, but help us start talking about how to be intentional with going out uh, and sharing your love with others. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.